welcome. Glad to have you with us and glad to be with you. Uh, we've got uh, some testimony from John Lott. He uh, testified in, in front of Congress. And uh, he, the, the guy was just, it was just amazing, uh, the vast wealth of knowledge and how he exposes uh, the nonsense of the left. Uh, and he was challenged uh, by an anti-gunner. We'll play that audio for you in just a few minutes. We have show and tell as well. Uh, then we have uh, former state representative Chuck Basie on board. Dale Roberts is with us. Uh, MoGunLaw.com. Garson is in from Graphs, and the show and tell looks pretty hot to me. So all that uh, kicks off right now, gentlemen. Uh, this uh, this testimony that uh, we that we got from uh, John Lott. It's just amazing the vast amount of knowledge he has. He's been a, a guest on the program uh, several times, and uh, we're going to kick off with that now. We have been raped, we have been beaten, we have been kidnapped, so we will never be victims again. No, I lied. We're not. <laughs> that was a different piece of audio. Uh, that's about uh, female gun ownership, uh, that it is apparently exploding. Uh People are, uh, women are buying guns like crazy. Here's the John Lott testimony. As we've heard many times today, blacks disproportionately face higher murder rates. People commit crimes primarily against people who are like themselves, both in terms of race and socioeconomic status. In my written testimony, I discuss how the costs of crime are much broader than just the direct victims of crime. And so I'm not going to go really through that right now. There are several points I want to make. One is... Single-parent families are a major contributing uh, problem to all sorts of social problems, including crime. But unfortunately, the government has played a major role in the breakdown of families. Another point is, if you make it riskier for criminals to commit crime, you'll have less crime. You can, you can stop crime with higher arrest rates, higher conviction rates, longer prison sentences. But you can also do it by letting victims be able to go and protect themselves with guns. Every place in the world that has banned either all guns or all canned guns has, that we have crime data for has shown murder rates and homicide rates go up every single time. If guns on net are bad, as some have argued, you would think it would be easy to find lots of places that have banned guns where you see murder rates go down or at least stay the same, and yet every time they go up. If by randomness you think once or twice you would go and see that murder rates would go down, but yet they go up every single time. And the question is why? And the, and the basic point is that when you ban guns, it's the most law-abiding good citizens who turn in their guns, not the criminals. And to the extent that you disarm law-abiding citizens relative to criminals, you may take a few guns away from criminals, you actually make it easier for criminals to go and commit crimes. And this point applies to gun control laws generally, not just bans. You have to be careful that the gun control laws that you're passing aren't going to primarily disarm the, the victims that are there. I just want to make a couple quick points about from earlier panels. With all the discussion about guns, it's important to recognize that 92% of violent crime has nothing to do with guns. Firearms are not the leading cause of death of children, despite being referenced several times today. A number of references have been made to AR-15s, just so people know, AR-15s are small caliber, semi-automatic hunting rifles. They just look different, but they function identically to any semi-automatic gun. They, about 85% of the guns in the United States are semi-automatics. Assault weapons 
have not reduced the mass public shootings, the ban that we had from 94 to 2004. There's one academic, Luis Clavicorivas, has his own unique definition of, uh, of mass shootings that he collects there, and that's the one that President Biden and others refer to constantly. But the problem that you have with that is that if you look at the percent of mass shootings, mass public shootings that involve assault weapons, even using his unique measure, it actually uh, went up during that period of time. And the only way that could drive a decline is if the, the share fell over the period. As far as mass public shootings being uniquely American problem that was mentioned by several of the people today, if you look over the last 20 years, the United States accounts for 4.6% of the world population, but 1% of the world's mass public shootings. There are many countries in Europe that have higher per capita rates of mass public shootings than the United States has. Guns in the home do not increase the risk of homicides and suicides. I can talk about that. I was chief economist for the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and I can tell you the sentencing guidelines increase disparity rather than decreasing it. And academic research shows that poverty rates changes only explain 1% to 2% of the variation in crime rates. If my re on to other things. If my research convinces me of anything, it is the most vulnerable people in our society who benefit the most from from having guns and are harmed the most by gun control. The people who benefit the most are two groups. The people who are most likely victims of violent crime, and that overwhelmingly tends to be poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas, and people who are relatively weaker physically, women and the elderly. And unfortunately, gun control laws discriminate against the poor and minorities. Let me just talk about background checks as an example. We frequently hear that there are four million dangerous prohibited people that have been prevented from buying guns because of background checks. That's simply false. What they should say is there have been four million initial denials. And virtually all of those, about 99% of those are mistakes, false positives. The thing is, when you go and you buy a gun, you're providing all this information. What they do in the next background check is look at roughly phonetically similar names and similar birthdays. The problem is, is that people tend to have names similar to others in, in their racial groups. Hispanics have names similar to other Hispanics. Blacks tend to have names similar to other blacks. 33% of black males are felons. 18% of Hispanic males are felons. 6% of white males are felons. 3% of Asian males are felons. Where are you most likely going to see the mistakes being made then when you have looking at things like roughly phonetically similar names. You're going to be discriminating against law-abiding, good black and Hispanic males simply because they have a roughly phonetically similar name to somebody who's a felon, who's prohibited. If private companies did background checks in the same way that the federal government does, under federal law, they'd be sued out of business. Why can't we require that the federal government have to meet the same standards for doing background checks that private companies have to meet? <clears throat> you look at the fees. If, you, if I were to go and give John or somebody else here uh, a gun here in D.C., we'd have to go through a background check. It costs $125 to do a background check on a private transfer of a gun. I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm going to give one other person four guns. One person giving one other person four guns, you think it's just one background check because the same person is getting all guns. In D.C. and most of the other states that have these background checks, these universal background checks, they require a separate background check on each gun. 
So rather than $125, it would cost $500 for me to transfer the guns from one person to another. Give me a benign explanation for why that's set up that way, other than just to make it costly for law-abiding people who are trying to go out of their way to go and obey the law to be able to go and protect themselves and their families. There's no other benign explanation other than making it costly. Who do you think you're stopping? You're stopping poor people. And the same thing with the errors in the background check system. You have a situation where Dr. middle income, Dr. Lott, you've if let you let people go for over a minute earlier today. I'm just, I'm almost done. Um, just go ahead and finish. <clears throat> you, have, you have a system here where it's middle income and poor people who they can go and hire a lawyer to go and fix the mistakes in the background check system. But who wants to pay $3,000, even if they want to have a gun, even if they can afford to do it, just to fix a mistake that the government made and not the individuals? Thank you very much for your time. So I thought he nailed it. I thought he, he brought a lot of facts to the table. There's a gentleman uh, that uh, was sitting next to him who uh, made the most specious arguments in response, and Lot put them to sleep as well. Uh, interestingly, uh, at the very beginning, uh, he, he pointed out that fatherless or single-parent uh, households are really one of the great problems, and he pointed to the government as being partly responsible uh, for that happening. Uh, Garson, how do you fix that? Mm, I really couldn't say. I, mean, uh, I, I got an idea, and welfare. Uh, and and those government programs that I mean, take dad out of the house. I would say that would be a step towards it, but I don't know if it, it's going to fix it by itself. Well, that aspect of it, I, I think, uh, perhaps uh, might help. True. Chuck, any idea what percent of uh, the state's budget goes to uh, single-parent households? Well, I'm not sure, Gary. That's uh, I'd have to research that, but I, I know that uh, about forty percent of the budget is for social services, you know, Medicaid, uh, you know, welfare, food stamps, things like that. So, if the government weren't involved in those things, and it's growing, our, our tax burden yeah. would be roughly half what it is. Well, it possibly, close to it, forty yeah. percent off. I'm, yeah. I'm sure they'd find other ways to spend it. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't a lot of that forty percent matched by federal money? So that it's uh, uh, Medicaid, uh, a lot of that is, uh, yeah, significantly the federal government kicks in, I think, 90% of every uh, Medicaid dollar. But isn't sp that supposed to be reduced every few years? Well, I don't know. You know, it's it, we passed the Medicaid expansion not too long ago, and it's 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 really out of hand. Yeah, I thought I thought as the yeah. time went on, our the state's burden became greater as the federal government reduced. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I believe that's correct. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So... Right now, uh, the state of Missouri seems to be kind of flush, uh, but eventually that's that's going to end, right? I mean, the, this, the federal government's not going to be pumping as much money in. we got to do something. We've got to rein some of this in. I, we're we're kind of straying a little bit from the gun show, uh, but it is important uh, that uh, we get rid of this uh, epidemic of single-family uh, households. Uh, with uh, these children uh, who are more likely to fail in school, more likely to get in trouble with the law, uh, more likely to use uh, uh, drugs. Uh, it's just really, a, it, it, it predicts some, some pretty bad things in the future.
Uh, by the way, if you want to contact us, 800-529-5572 or go to GaryNolan.com and send a message. It will pop up here uh, in the studio. Uh, Dale, anything that you've seen uh, legislatively that's coming up in the state of Missouri? There's quite a bit, and I was actually just going to... I I discovered a bill that I I just saw it this morning. I think it was filed by Senator Bratton. Uh, You know, I often complain on this show about the fact that mayors and other administrators uh, do things to violate Second Amendment and they do so with impunity and immunity. And, and it's our tax dollars that pay the legal defense for the government attorneys to try and defend those unconstitutional acts. And they also end up paying, when they lose, they end up paying the, the uh, legal fees for the attorneys that fight those things. And, you know, mayor just sits back and goes, okay, I'll have to find another way around the Constitution. So... Uh, this particular senator, uh, Senate Bill 948, uh, is Senator Bratton, has filed a bill as to Missouri law that says any officer of a governing body of uh, political subdivision who violates basically our Second Amendment provisions in the state of Missouri will be uh, guilty of a Class A misdemeanor, uh, which could have a small uh, incarceration penalty and a $1,000 fine for every offense not a huge amount but it's a first i mean it's a start in why, terms of why limit that to the second amendment shouldn't that just cover all of our rights well yes i'm not sure you know that there's the uh encroachment is great yeah that that there's this you know great problem with mayors and city managers out there violating other rights. speech yeah, or free, whatever else. Exactly. Right, I mean, if we're going to go there, I think we might as well cover the whole spectrum from the get-go. Well, and uh, also, this... this let, let, let me do this. i got to interrupt you guys. Yep. We'll continue this in the next segment. We're up against the clock. It is Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Uh, if you just turned the radio on, uh, Dale was uh, Dale Roberts at uh, MoGunLaw.com is talking about legislation being introduced in the state of Missouri that, uh, I guess, uh, protects uh, the rights of the Second Amendment supporters. Uh, and Garson said, why not all the rights? Um, I, I guess Dale, the argument is the other uh, the other rights aren't really being violated yet. Well, and this bill is a Second Amendment bill. What? I, wait a minute! You got to get closer to the mic. I do. Yeah. Wow, I'm right on top of it. Yeah, I, you weren't there for a second. Okay, huh? I think it's our volume in here. Um, anyway, this this section of the statute deals with Second Amendment, so they couldn't put something in here that deals with. You know, not letting you have a gasoline-powered car or whatever. Or other, stove. You know. Um, it's the statute that says no municipality or county, you know, uh, authority can pass any Second Amendment restrictions unless they're consistent with the state law. And obviously, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Kansas City, St. Louis, they're trying to ban magazines with more than 10 rounds and, and all sorts of other stuff. And so now the, the law that says they're not supposed to do that would add a section that says, and if you do it, you personally may be fined $1,000, not a lot, but it's a start, and guilty of a uh, Class A misdemeanor. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good start. 
I like it. Is there anything else uh, pending that that, that uh, you or Chuck are aware of? <laughs> Go, Chuck. Well, uh, there's uh, so much. I I <laughs> just uh, started looking at this stuff last night. I've been so busy with the uh, personal things, but um, the Democrats are back at it. I mean, they're they're filing all the uh, the typical bills they filed over the you know the past several years, the red flag laws and things like that. Um, so you know, uh, magazine bans. Uh, things like that, or capacity bans. So the usual nonsense, right? Hopefully, right. won't get uh, much in the way of consideration. No, and, I'm, and, I'm and one, well. you know, this stuff makes me crazier than I already am. One that would define an assault weapon, and a definition would be semi-automatic rifle that has a pistol grip or a thumbhole stock. Uh, any feature capable of functioning as a protruding grip that can be held by the non-functioning hand, forward assist, and here's the good one, a shroud attached to the barrel that <laughs> partially or completely encircles the barrel. And I, I, I can't think of a rifle that doesn't have some, uh, you know, wooden stock, plastic stock, whatever, forward shroud that at least partially encircles the barrel. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't want to be hanging onto a hot barrel. So I think that definition would make almost every long gun in Missouri, shotgun as well as rifle, into an assault weapon. You know, you wonder what the hell they're thinking. Honest to God, it makes me crazy. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go after something, get a subject matter expert. I wouldn't mind fighting them if they do it right. Get a subject matter expert and and address something accurately, but it's hard to take this kind of stuff seriously. I don't know. Uh, some other's kids, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> uh, the county has given the green light for a, a military surplus dealer to open a retail store and an indoor firing range uh, up by uh, by Midway. Uh, the largest seller of U.S. Army surplus firearms and ammunition in the country plans to set up shop just west of Columbia in a uh, 77, roughly 1,000-square-foot warehouse donated uh, by Larry Potterfield uh, in Midway, USA. Uh, I was uh, having a conversation with Mike Murphy about this on Thursday, and apparently what they're going to do is uh, work on teaching... Uh, the next generation how to safely shoot a firearm. Uh, and I think that's a great addition uh, to Boone County. So, all right, with that in mind, uh, we're going to uh, just uh, get you up to date on what's going on around town and around the world. Then we'll come back. Ammunition being confiscated by law enforcement, among other topics. I'm Gary on Gun. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Dale Roberts is in MoGunLaw.com. Uh, we also have Chuck Basie in, Second Amendment supporter and uh, former member of the state legislature. And, of course, Garson is in, and he brought all kinds of toys. Uh, that'll be show and tell from Graphs. Uh, let me grab a, a quick phone call here, and then we'll go into uh, two stories. One, uh, women and firearms, and the other one dealing with uh, Florida, where they're confiscating ammunition. Seemingly, we'll put that down. You guys just you can't help but play with these guns. Uh, Morell, good morning. 
Yes, good morning, Gary. You know, I hope my, my comments won't prove too controversial, but I would like to say, first of all, on, on your poll, the, poll, the your stats there, you know, he may be right. Those, stat, those stats might be erroneous because, you know, uh, for instance, uh, more children dying of guns. It seems astounding to me that more children are dying of guns. They're not dying I mean, from guns. More children are dying from car accidents than guns. It's not the okay. leading cause. Okay. But yeah, I'm reminded of, of, of a poll once that, that, that claimed uh, uh, that uh, the fear of public speaking was worse than the fear of, uh, of death. Seinfeld said that you, that means you'd rather be in the you're better off being in the cabin. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, Morel. Get to the point. Okay. Well, uh, well, I don't know the stats on suicide, and I myself, uh, you know, uh, but I've, I've often heard of parents of children who have killed themselves with guns as they've been. Uh, raised with them in the house, only to have their parents use words about their uh, the, the, their own children as cowards. Uh, and why? Uh, why Morrell, what is the point of this? You're, you're, give me a point. What are you trying to say? Well, because guns were so accessible and, and convenient and accommodating, they're cowards. And words like no, 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 morale, morale. You got to make a point. Guns are bad because, or guns are good because. I don't want to hear the rest of this. Bravo, Sierra. Just tell me your okay, point. Well, well, if we could just admit one thing. You know, Reagan actually uh, tried. Uh, they, they came. No, no, no. Morale, morale. Give me a point or go away. Well, well, if we could, if we could admit that if we could have been rid of guns from the very start, uh, you know, like, like uh, you know, as guns have been successfully banned in other countries. They have not it, been successfully banned in other countries. In every country where they banned firearms, the homicide rate went up. Next. Well, you know, it's the proliferation that may, may, may make it irreversible, but I'll say this. I asked somebody one time. Well, I don't care what go, you know what, you're not making any points, morale. You're just blabbering on. I've got more points to make on this because I, I, I confront there was someone who I asked, well, do you, do you have your guns for, for home safety or do you have it to, for, to, for a possible re a revolution? And he, he suggested revolution. And I said, well, wait a second. If you, if you, ban if, if banning assault weapons is unacceptable, nobody will do it. The courts won't do it. Well, well, what about gun buybacks? To which he said, well, that means somebody will steal my guns so that they can sell them. Said, well, oh, for crying out loud. Morale, you're giving me anecdotal evidence of a stupid answer. Gun buybacks don't work because bad guys will turn in firearms that are useless to them, get money, and go out and buy a good firearm that works. They're, they're taking guns from people who will never use them to begin with. You're not saving any lives. You're just costing money uh, from taxpayers and wasting time. Morrell, when you got something real, call back. Otherwise, bye. All right. Uh, anybody want to comment on, on that uh, conversation? Feel free. Jump in. Um, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> I just wish I had a firearm for every firearm I have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Garson, that would make two for you then, right? Um, something like that. Yeah, because uh, that terrible boating accident. Oh, I thought you meant on me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, taking my concealed carry class from Tim Oliver. The pants factor? Yeah, yeah did you? Did, he stands in front of the, uh, the class. Uh, and uh, starts pulling firearms out of places. Uh, it was it was just holy Toledo. This guy is a walking, talking arsenal. Uh, but we got to move on. Uh, women apparently are buying 
firearms at an incredible rate. And this is a good, uh, a, a good sign, I would argue. Uh, this is a group of women who have been assaulted uh, violently in the past, uh, and they've gotten together and taken these, taking, uh, taking these classes. It's a good sign for the future. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Chicks with Triggers. I am Robin, your instructor for today. What Chicks with Triggers is, is a safe space. This is a safe space for women. I have trained over 4,500 people. We're about uplifting women. We are about encouraging women. We're about empowering women. There was no safe space where women could go and talk to other women who have been in similar situations. I was involved in a... Um, in a domestic violence relationship, and I actually had a gun pulled out on me during that relationship. He started following me everywhere I went. He started putting stuff on my car. Moms um, that are single are very vulnerable. We are preyed upon. They're always going to be able to have access to get their hands on a gun. It's either going to be you or them. And at the end of the day, you want to be standing there alive. How would you feel if it was your wife, your daughter, your mother getting stalked, abused? Would you want them to be stripped of guns? Banned assault weapons now. Every single person that's talking about taking away our guns, they plan on keeping theirs. You control your outcome. We are faster than 911. I am my first responder. Because of Robin, I have been more comfortable in handling and shooting the gun and also learning the gun laws. Any threat that comes our way now, I feel like with my gun, I can handle it. If I needed it, I feel more comfortable pulling it. I am a mother of a five-year-old daughter, and we will never be victims. Yes, it's cool if you have it in your car. Yes, it's cool if you have it in your holster on you, but do you know how to actually use it? I think the more prepared you are, then you can kick some ass. Now I know you're going down. Like every single time there's a, there's a video out about black women learning guns or Asian women learning guns or Latino women learning guns, it's always saying, well, why does that matter? It matters because we weren't here before. This was a demographic that wasn't here before. The NRA is single-handedly the biggest and strongest organization, especially for gun rights in this country. And I think without them, we would be absolutely screwed. For anyone trying to take away our Second Amendment right, I say, come and take it. God, I loved hearing that. Oh. Wasn't that great? Uh, talking about being prepared, taking the training, uh, and then the, the the final, you know, you're you're interested in uh, gun confiscation. Come and take it. That that is the ballsiest statement I've seen with NRA backing in quite a while. It was, uh, I thought, uh, a pretty good sign. Uh, anyway, um, the uh, the uh, state of well, first let me just wrap up on this. It is great that women are arming themselves. Uh, their 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 first the one woman said she is her first responder. Uh, I want to see more and more women uh, arming up and defending themselves uh, because there's there's no way the police are going to get there on time when when uh, seconds count they're minutes away. This is this is a, a great advance that women and minorities are legally carrying firearms. In Florida, this guy uh, had a confrontation with somebody, and apparently uh, it, it resulted in him falling down and his gun discharging. It didn't hit anybody. Nobody got hurt. Police showed up. Uh, they arrested the guy that, uh, that was uh, causing the problem. They confiscated the firearm and uh, eventually decided that no law was broken, and gave this guy back his firearm. But they didn't give him back the ammunition. Uh, and I look at this uh, 
And I I think, Dale, this is just out-and-out theft. Sounds like it. I can't imagine what... I mean, I know that in the past, and I mean, you know, 10 years ago, maybe, um, or 15 years ago, when, when concealed carry was in its early years in Missouri, I, in, you know, teaching classes, talked to people who would say, I was stopped by, you know, law enforcement officer, told him I had a handgun, the law enforcement officer asked me, you know, I, give it to me. I'm going to hold it while we're having this interaction. And then before we parted ways, the officer unloaded it, gave me back the handgun, and gave me back the ammo separately. And I'm sure the officer thought that was necessary for his or her protection at the time. But the point being, they did give the ammunition back. It just, they didn't give it back in the firearm. But just taking it and keeping it, I don't. I'm struggling to think, you know, off the top of my head of the justification for that. Well, it took them 68 days to investigate and to conclude the victim wasn't charged with any crime. When this guy went to the police department to get his property, the ammunition wasn't there. The department's property clerk told him the uh, ammunition was confiscated. We don't return ammo, he said. The department will probably use it for training. <laughs> Um, so, you know, maybe it's 15 rounds. How much does it cost to retrieve 15 rounds? You're going to have to get an attorney, uh, file a suit. It, it's most people, I imagine, just walk away going, glad I just got the gun back. As long as the ammo prices don't get any higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're shooting five seven. So yeah, so on my first walk through on that story, I thought they handed his gun back immediately, not two months later. Um, so, and I was going to ask if they determined if it was a negligence issue, a true accident, or a failure of the gun in some part to cause this. And if it was you know anything but negligence, I would have thought you know they would have immediately turned his property to him at at that moment instead of waiting sixty eight days. Yeah, um, that that had to been really frustrating. And then to come back and have take the ammo from the gun, it's not worth pursuing. Well, especially if that's your only self-defense firearm, you know, because now he, he spent the last two months without any protection of any kind for whatever reason he was carrying. Yeah, it, uh, it I don't know, just doesn't seem safe to me. Uh, we have a show and tell coming up. And uh, we've got a shooting that just happened, uh, University of Nevada at Las Vegas. And we'll talk about that next. Gary on guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. And uh, we have uh, on board with us uh, Garson from Graffs. He's brought in uh, a couple of firearms here that are going to be real fun to talk about. Also, we have Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com, and Chuck Basie, former state representative, Second Amendment supporter. Uh, and uh, there was a shooting, sadly, uh, at the uh, UNLV campus. In Nevada. And I don't know about you guys, but the first thing that pops into my mind when this sort of event occurs is please, please let them have been carrying a pistol. My guess is the the shooter was carrying a pistol because I haven't seen any stories highlighting that it was a semi-automatic rifle. Have you guys seen anything along those lines? Everything I saw stated he had a pistol of some kind. Yeah. If it had been a semi-automatic rifle... Uh, every anti-gunner in the world would have been there saying this wouldn't have happened 
except that they had a semi-automatic rifle. Well, I think Biden did make a statement saying that we need to ban AR-15s and reference the UNLV shooting. Which, <laughs> of course. Which, well, well, of course. And Biden also wants to ban 9mm handguns because they're so dangerous. And it's, uh, you know, that one of the tests under the Bruin case from the Supreme Court is, uh, you, you know, you, in theory, you can't ban a firearm if it's in common use. So I guess Biden doesn't really think a 9mm handgun <laughs> is in common use. I don't know any any household <laughs> where they don't have a 9mm gun. <laughs> Oh, Lord. it's not the gun itself. It's the, the lung blower ammunition, yeah. <laughs> according to Biden. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, actually, I don't know of any household that has a 9mm handgun. Oh, they, they have several. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go into any great detail, but I'm guilty. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, the sad part of this is that this was a gun-free zone. Well, this then was, how did that happen? I, well, you know, this guy should have walked up to the campus, saw the signs, and said, oh, I can't go in there with my gun, and, and walked away. Well, and this guy was also 67, so I think any... Yeah, so he had applied at UNLV to be a professor and yeah. oh, had, okay. had not been hired, and I guess that was his reasoning behind this attack. And, and that's... But I think... Anybody on campus would have been younger than that, and anyone younger than him with a gun would have been very easily able to stop this, like in the very inception of the attack. Except they're but, not allowed to have guns on exactly. campus. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, Amanda Collins Johnson uh, was assaulted and raped walking to her car in a parking garage, University of Nevada, Reno campus. And uh, she wasn't allowed to carry her gun. If she had carried her gun, this rapist would have been stopped. Uh, unfortunately, he went on to rape two more women and kill one of them. Uh, and and she laments the fact that the university didn't learn their lesson. And it occurs to me that it is Russian roulette. And I'm wondering, and this is why I want to talk to Dale about this. If they tell me I can't carry a gun, but I have to go into the building... And I get shot. Can I, if, if I'm a survivor or my family, sue them for, you know, disarming me? Not really, or at least not yet. Um, there are two problems. Well, one of the first ones is that the university might be able to invoke sovereign immunity and prevent you from proceeding with the claim against them. There have been a couple of bills, I haven't seen it yet this year, but I haven't read through the 40 or so that have been filed so far. There have been bills in Missouri where a legislator proposes a provision that says, fine, if you tell me I cannot bring a firearm into your restaurant, if I come into your restaurant and I'm harmed by someone with a firearm, you should be responsible for that. And those bills haven't made it all the way through yet. Uh, See, I don't, I don't like those because well, it's the private marketplace. Well, but exactly, if it's a, and it's not, the solution is just let me take care of myself. Don't let me sue you later. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, I go to a restaurant and it says I can't carry, I just don't go in. Exactly. And that's uh, the best solution. It, yeah, and, and, and I frankly think that you should tell the, uh, the, the building, the uh, retailer, whoever it is, 
I would have purchased here. I was a, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen, but you won't let me in because I'm carrying a firearm. So somebody else is getting my money, not yes. you. Yes. And do that nicely. Don't, don't do it with, you know, an, an acidic response. But if it's a college campus, a government-subsidized uh, building, I think if they don't let me have choice, I should be able to hold them accountable. Um, the sovereign immunity thing is a bit of a problem, but I think they should be held accountable. And, of course, in Missouri, if you have a concealed carry permit, you may lawfully carry on a campus in school. Um, the rule at the University of Missouri is just that. It's a rule that applies to students, faculty, and staff such that if somebody in one of those three categories gets found with a gun on campus, they may be disciplined by their employer, but it's not a criminal offense. Can I walk into the university? You know, maybe I go to the restaurant there, the the private club, um, carrying my firearm if, with immunity, or am I in danger? If you have a permit, then you, it's not against the law for you to do that. If they find out you have a firearm and ask you to leave, you have to leave. They're you know they have the right to control their property, which uh, is borderline because it's a public university. But in any event. If you have a permit, you can lawfully carry on the university. So it's like any it's like any other place, like the mall. If exactly. I go into the mall exactly. uh, and I'm carrying the gun, if nobody knows, no harm, no foul. But if they catch me and they say you have to leave, I have to leave. Right. And the, that, the exception to that would be the stadiums. If you go through the the Gun Free School Zones Act, it has you know a provision that says it's not a violation of that law. If you have a permit from the state in which you're located. All right. Uh, we're up against the clock. Quick break. Senate Democrats are pushing for the merchant codes for gun stores again. We'll talk to Garson about that. But show and tell is first. I'm Gary Ungo.